Thank you, Devin. Uh, one other just note about the men's retreats. Uh, we need to put our final count up uh, at the end of this week. So if you could let us know by Wednesday that you're definitely going. We've got a number of men already put their money in. You don't have to get the money in necessarily by Wednesday, but we need a definite yay or nay about that. Great opportunity to get away and just focus on, uh, as Jim was saying, what God wants to speak into your heart as well as do it with other men uh, together. Well, t- this morning, um, I, I want to begin just by asking you a question. Have you ever had the experience where someone frustrated you so much or irritated you so much that you just got in their face and, what's the problem? What's your problem? Yeah, so we already got a yes on that. Uh, in fact, uh, Lynn was sharing about that, all kinds of experience, or Allegra. But maybe for uh, the, uh, the rest of us, uh, it, it's more home by, it, it hits more home by saying, hey, have you ever been so frustrating or irritating to somebody else that got in your face and, what's your problem? Or if it's not on a personal basis, maybe it's on a collective basis. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, it's not what your problem is, but what's our problem? If you're a sports fan, this, uh, they were billing this last uh, Saturday, yesterday, as the greatest Saturday in all of college football history because they had so many good teams playing, you know, good teams. And there were all kinds of upsets. And I'm sure after an upset, you know, USC, I think uh, they lost, what, 52-6, to six, you know, uh, in their game against Alabama. Um, but you had teams that were, were rated higher than other teams, and they lost. And I'm sure af- after the game was over, the coaches were looking at each other, and the players were looking at each other and said, what's, what's our problem? And, and there's all kinds of answers to things like that when someone irritates you or you irritate somebody else. You know, what, what, what caused that? If you're doing it on a collective basis, uh, you could say, you know, why we lost is we didn't play like a, like a team. Somehow the chemistry of us doing the things we're supposed to do together wasn't working. And even on this Labor Day weekend, when you think about uh, historically, we, we set aside this uh, first Monday in September to, to remember that you know, we work hard and there is a place where you need rest. And, and sometimes when you think about work, and you know, we have a phrase in our culture, TGIF, thank God it's that's the most religious day in the week, isn't it? Everybody's praying, thank God, you know, thank God it's Friday. Is that for many people, you know, work is, uh, is a labor not of love, but a labor of just heartache and pain and, and just, you just want to get away. And often when you, they've done studies and asked, well, what is it about work you don't like? And sometimes it's the task or it's the responsibilities or the things you're supposed to do or, or not do. But often it's because they, they can't get along with the people they work with. You know, it, you can have a lot of fun doing horrible things if you have people that are, are fun to be with. Isn't that true? I mean, there's all kinds of experiences. I, could, I, I hate doing this, but I, I love doing it if I'm with the right people. Well, you know, sometimes we as Christians, we, uh, we think, well, it's, it's all about if you could just be around church people all the time. It would just be awesome. And, and then you're around church people all the time, and it's not always what? Awesome. And then sometimes we dream, so, well, if, if today's church or the church I belong to, if we could just be like the, the first century church, if we could just be like the, the church that began it all as Jesus launched his program, well, we're going to see just like we have today. We, we not only have personal problems, and what's our problem, but, um, but the churches throughout history have had problems. Well, they, they, they're not exactly like God has a design of the church as a family, as the body of Christ, to, to actually function. And in the series in the book of James, James is really the wisdom book in the New Testament. It's really telling us, uh, okay, this is, uh, this is how you're living. This is how you should be living. This is how God will empower you to live how you're supposed to be living. And, and this is what happens if you live in the flesh, not in the spirit. And he, he's very pointed. And he'll share good news and bad news. 
uh, earlier in this, this section, we're going to get that to, to a, in a moment. James has, has been pleading with them. I want you to understand there's, there's a wisdom out there that you want to live in. I mean, it's awesome. It's, it's pure. It's, it's peaceable. It's gentle. It's reasonable. It's full of good fruits and mercy. It's unwavering. It's without hypocrisy. It, it, it's that which enhances life rather than destroys life. But as he raises that picture up, he, he then turns, okay, now, but I want to talk to you about, about another way to live. And it's not that way. It, it's, it's not the absence of conflict. It's, it's conflict that's multiplied. It, it's not something that makes sense. It doesn't make sense at all. It's not reasonable. And it, it's, it's something that if it feels good for a moment, it's only for a moment. But God's way of life is unwavering. There isn't, there isn't this mixture of good and bad when you live for God. It's, 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 it's in his peaceful experience. But he said that's not going to necessarily be true. Not only outside the experience of being with God's people, but even being with God's people. And so we always need to realize that the, the Christian life is, is the best life possible, but it's, it's sometimes a battle. In fact, it's always a battle. Because we, we fight the world trying to press us into its mold and even within our own flesh, we have the tendency to, to be very self-centered. We have an enemy out there that's always trying to destroy the fellowship of God's people. And so this morning, what I want to talk about, I want to talk about a problem. And let's be honest, it's not just your problem, it's my problem. And it's not just among one of us, it's among all of us. And God has some things he wants us to ponder if you've ever had kids watching Sesame Street, this message is brought to you by the letter P. So if you dig out your outlines this morning, we're going we're to consider a few things as we think about how God wants us to deal with problems uh, in our own lives, but also in relation with God's people. And just to keep you active this morning, let's just stand for the reading of God's Word. We don't do that very often. You can honor God's Word without standing, but I want to just read this section. It's a very short section we're going to deal with this morning. But in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, listen as I read um, God's message to us. What is, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Before you sit, let's look to the Lord one more time in prayer. Father, we just pray as we look in your word this morning, as we think about being honest about how we live and, and how we live with others around us, help us to be, to be even as your scripture tells us, to, to desire your grace. And you give grace, but you're always opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we pray that we might humble ourselves before you, even before we experience remembering the cross at the communion table that you might speak into our lives what it means to to live life in ways that honor you and we ask this in christ's name and all god's people said amen, amen. well let me just give you the guts this message uh this morning as we think about the points god wants us to ponder it, it's really he's going to be talking about here is that there, there is a way to live and it's it's pursuing not what god wants but pursuing what basically you want and really the idea here, you can go through life and your main desire in life is to pursue pleasure over people. Or you can decide, well, I'm just going to pursue pleasure that 
but you'll discover that these pleasures won't pacify, they won't satisfy. Or you can decide that you're going to pursue pleasures without prayer, without consulting God. And then the bottom line at the end, I'm going to say there is only really one pursuit all should have, and that is to pursue God's plan. In fact, we pursue pleasures in God's plan. And in this text, right after, and every text has a context, right after he talked about God's peace, which was pure and peaceable and gentle and reasonable and full of good fruits and mercy, unwavering without hypocrisy, he says, but there's another way people live. And you know about it because sometimes it happens in your own church. And to use another group of P's, we, we, we talked about when we went through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, and we start a whole new PT with God this week, and we're going through Corinthians, so I encourage you to, to use that as a devotional time uh, Monday through Friday. But the, the, we need to understand that the, the church is the perfect place for what kind of people? Imperfect people. And if we forget that, we have these expectations about how church ought to be, and we realize, well, that's how it ought to be, but it's not going to be that way until Jesus returns, but we can pursue to be the people God wants us to be. But for that to happen, we need to realize what reality is, and then also realize what God wants reality to be in our experience. I was reading about this, uh, this church, and uh, they were having a church business meeting, and it, it got a little bit out of hand. It got so much out of hand that someone actually had to call the police because there were fistfights starting to happen in the... <laughs> in the congregation, in the place where they normally worshipped. I, I read about this pastor. He came home one day, and he had a number of kids, and they had their friends over, and they're outside in the backyard. They're just having fun. But all of a sudden, the, the fun sounded like they were having arguments. And it got more and more heated and louder and louder. And so he, he went out there. He said, what's your problem? And they said, nothing. We're just playing church. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes that can be the experience. When that happens... People are pursuing things that, that aren't the things that God wants us to pursue. Well, well, let's kind of look at the text this morning very simply. What does he want us to ponder about dealing with the problems in our own life or our collective life with each other? Uh, he says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And, and I would say most of us, we, we don't want conflict. Um, in fact, the conflict that sometimes we need to confront, we're, we're so adverse to conflict, we'll, we'll run from confronting things that need to be confronted. Because conflict is not a, an enjoyable experience, but it happens all the time. And it most happens when people get in arguments, when, when they're quarreling, when they're angry with each other. And then you say, well, why, why can't people just get, what, along? And then he answers that question. He poses the question, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Now, you can take members two ways. You can take the members of the, in relationship to people, um, or you can take the members, the, the pleasures, that which come from within your own members and your body. Uh, either way works. But he's talking about there, there's a group of people here and, and what's happening. They're not living harmoniously. There's a problem. And, and the problem is people are being driven by their pleasures. And, and what, I, what I wanted to make in the, the very first point in your outline this morning is, is when that happens at that moment or moments, people, and I'm including all of us here, at that moment... What we want is more important than the person that we're with. Isn't that true? There's a point where we say, I'm not giving in because I want what I want. 
and it's more important than you. Isn't that true? We, we, we just take a step back, and it's, it's all about me at this moment, and I'm tired of giving in, or whatever it might be, and I want what I want. And, and if you have two people who are now being governed by that same desire, there is no way for that to be resolved. And, and people are just committed to that desire in their heart. Now, desires in themselves are not wrong, but when we put desires over people, it is wrong. It's always wrong when we put desires over people. I was reading a kind of an interesting parallel this past week. And um, it, it, there's all kinds of analogies in nature. You know, God is the, the God of nature. It's not Mother Nature. It's God is the creator of nature. But uh, the... Uh, um, it just, it just popped out of my mind. What, what is it that comes into a butterfly? A uh, caterpillar, okay? Well, I'm a real smart person up here, okay? So, so anyway, the, uh, you know, caterpillars are basically the, the analogy of what we are before we become a Christian. You know, we're, we're wiggling around and we're, we're enjoying a life as much as we think we are. We think caterpillars, that's, that's the ultimate of life until we realize there's something more to it, right? And, and so a caterpillar goes through a process and becomes a butterfly, now, most of you, what would you rather have in your house, butterflies or caterpillars? Butterflies, right? And so you think butterflies, man, they have now made it. But this is, this is what I, I read. There's an, there was an extremely an intriguing experiment that shows that a male butterfly will ignore a living female butterfly of his own species in favor of a painted cardboard one. If the, car, if the cardboard one is big enough. If the cardboard one is bigger than he is, bigger than any female butterfly ever could be, the male butterfly courts the piece of cardboard. <laughs> Nearby, the real living female butterfly opens and closes her wings in vain. Now, isn't that kind of analogy of us? Sometimes there, there's something so big out there, something so important to us, something that we perceive as, as more enjoyable than anything in life. And the point here is any one in life that will choose that pleasure over the real being around us. And, and so God, God wants us to recognize that, that, that the best pleasures are found, obviously, in the person, which is himself. But the other best pleasures is with people. Is with people. And too often, we're like the butterflies. We're, we're, we're playing around with a cardboard box when there are eternal beings around us. Now, has this always been a problem in the church? Of course it has. And, and this is why, if we fantasize too much about um, the first church, we, we, we kind of miss it. And looking at your outline this morning, I got, where did I put all some of my things up here? It, it, is that it, as you look at how God wants us to live, you need to realize that it's always been a challenge. In, in the church at Philippi, how would you like to, yeah, there, some of us, you know, fantasize about being, you know, having our name in the paper for good reasons, you know, or maybe being put on a billboard or being in a movie or being on television or being some whatever it might be, how, I, the, the best thing to ever be would be have your name in the Bible. I mean, your name, my name's in the Bible, but it's not in reference to me, okay? But, uh, you know, you think, wouldn't that be neat to be in God's Word, recorded forever, to be an example of how, you know, what it means to fall after God? Shake your head like you're still with me, all right? Okay. I, I, there, there is the opposite, however. Your, your names could be in the Bible for the wrong reasons. 
In, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, it says this, I urge Euodia and I urge Seneca to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, he said it very nicely. What he's saying is they're not living in harmony. They can't get along. There's a problem in that relationship. And would you go to them and just simply, can't you guys just get it together? What, whatever it is that destroyed your relationship, make it right. You know, that's the kind of thing you don't want to be in, be in the Bible for. And that was in the first church. And that was in a good church, the, book, the church of Philippi. Well, how about the church in Corinth? And, uh, well, in 1 Corinthians 1.11, it says this, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. And so the church is the perfect place for imperfect people. We should not be surprised by conflict within the church, but that doesn't mean we, 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 we aren't bothered by it. And we don't try to do whatever we can to make it right. And at that point, whatever was happening here, and there's some, there is some insight in the book of 1 Corinthians, what, was, what, what were some of the problems, but they could not get along because whatever they wanted, and sometimes it was just looking at certain people higher than others, he's saying, you're messing it up. This is not the wise way to live. But then you say, well, there, there must have been times where no matter how much in conflict people were, th- they would be around a certain thing that would drive everybody together like what we're going to participate in a moment, communion. It's, it's pretty hard to have a bad attitude when you're taking communion, right? I mean, if you're thinking at all about what it means. I mean, Jesus died for our what? Sin. Now, does, does anyone here think that, that you didn't have any sin that Jesus had to die for? I mean, everyone understands that. But turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, Paul has to talk to them even, even in the experience of that which ought to drive people toward seeing that people are more important than anything else in this world. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, he says this, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. <laughs> what kind of description of that for a church? Can you imagine? Now, y'all came here together because you wanted to be a worse person when you left. Did anybody come for that reason? Well, he's saying that's basically what's happening in this church. For in the first place, when you come together to church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. In other words, sometimes you get a worse story than is really the story. But he said, I've heard so many stories in there that this is, this is becoming believable. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. Now, and I'll bring this up. You say, well, I've never done that. You know, I've never, you know, come to a church potluck and I brought better food than somebody else and I'm only eating my food. I'm not eating those things that other people brought. I'm just, you know, I'm hoarding it in. But whenever we somehow get so preoccupied with our life and not really committed to other people's lives, then we're pursuing our pleasures over that which is most important, which is people. And really, whatever God asks us to do, challenges us to do, it isn't always easy, but it's always the best. He said, your greatest experience of life is found 
in people. So never pursue pleasure over people. But he moves on in the text, and let's look at it this morning. Uh, in James chapter 4, verse 2, the first part, he says, You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now, let's be honest. We all have a, a list of things we like to do, and some things are higher on the list than other things. Would we all agree? Keep shaking your head so I know you're still with me, all right? There are certain things, you know, we kind of like doing, and there's some things that we really love doing, right? Now, there are a few things I like doing I don't get to do. I, you know, I'm, I'm not too bad of a mood. But if, there are, if the things I love to do I don't get to do at all, then I can get a little crabby, all right? You know, it starts to bother me. And what he's saying here is basically that. If you think that the pursuit of all those things you like and love to do, if, if somehow they got taken from you, your, your life is ruined, then you're pursuing pleasures that won't pacify. It was interesting, even among uh, some of the Christians that were interviewed, and I thought that the Christians that were interviewed during the Olympic uh, Games uh, did such a great job, at least the ones I heard. And I remember uh, one of the athletes who, the, the, the previous Olympic had won a gold medal, I think it was the 10-meter the platform dive, and he, and he wasn't supposed to win it, and he won it. And he said, I, it was just the most amazing experience of my entire life. And I, I thought, once I reached that experience, it would, just, it would just satisfy me for just forever. And he, he says it wasn't long before I realized, I mean, I'm glad I won, but that can't be all that life is about. And, and yet we get we buy that line all the time, don't we? I'll be happy when, I'll be happy if, I just can't wait for, Right? And there's nothing wrong with desiring things and, you know, enjoying things. But if somehow you think pleasures are what are going to pacify you or satisfy you, all you have to do is wait till you achieve it or experience it and realize, now what's next? It says in Hebrews about Moses, you know, he, he desired to, to not long for the passing pleasures of sin, but to follow after God. Is that which would truly satisfy him? The, the word interesting here for, for pleasures, and it's found in uh, James 4 1 and James 4 3, it's the word from which we get, uh, it's Aden or Hayden, which one would you get the word of, the, from which we describe a philosophy like called hedonism, which is, which is the pursuit of pleasure, seeking that's the highest level of life. And he said, if, if, that's, if that's somehow what you bought into, pursuing pleasures, not only over people, but, but even mistakenly thinking that's going to pacify, that's our root problem. We're, we're not pursuing the one who has given us every good thing, but we're pursuing that which will not truly meet our, our need because of who we really are, because God created us in a certain way. For some, that even keeps them from the gospel. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 14. And the seed which fell among the, the thorns, and this is the, the parable of the, the sower, and the seed represents the gospel, uh, and there's nothing wrong with the person throwing out the seed, it's who receives the seed. These are the ones who have heard, heard the gospel, the seed, and, and as they go their way, they are choked with worries and riches and the what? The pleasures of life. The, the hedonistic thinking, this is what, this is what life is all about, experiencing what you, you like to experience, pursuing the next 
thrill, you know, kind of an adrenaline junkie or, or whatever it might be. And it brings no fruit to maturity. It's interesting that there's, there's only, um, there's really only, I think, four times that the word for pleasure is transla- is, comes from the Greek word hedon. And every time it's used, it's used in a negative sense. And sometimes it's used to describe for people who just don't know the Lord. Because they somehow think this is what life is all about. You know, the, the person who, who, who dies with the most toys, what? Wins. But no, you just die. And, and so we have to be very careful about that. Now, th- then it says, however, in this text you say, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Now, if I wanted something so bad, you could say, well, how bad do you want it, right? Have you ever heard that phrase? Well, how bad do you want it? Well, would you be willing to commit murder for it? Now, that's a pretty high price tag, isn't it? Is he just, is he just speaking hyperbole, hyperbolic? He's uh, just exaggerating? Well, it's possible. But we need to realize that, that murder doesn't have to be where you actually... Uh, keep someone from breathing it's whatever you do whatever it takes to get whatever you need in Matthew chapter 5 verse 21 and 22 you have these words of Jesus you you have heard that the ancients were told you should not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court and whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the hell of fire. You know, we, we can kill people, we can slay people with our words. And it comes out of such a bitterness in our heart because at that moment we don't have what we want. And, and it has brought us to such anger. We want to destroy whatever is in front of us. That's pursuing what you want, selfishly, pleasure, whatever it might be, to such a degree that you'll, you'll do whatever it takes. Earlier, when we looked at wisdom from God's perspective, it was contrasted from the wisdom, not from God, but from below. In James 3, 14 and 16, it says this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. So, so we, we need to simply recognize that, that God gives us desires, and, there's, and these are God-given, but they are to be governed by, by God. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And, and so there, there needs to be an understanding of what desires are about. You remember reading in high school uh, The Brave New World by Huxley? Huxley, uh, he thought that, that really what was going to happen in our world was that it wouldn't necessarily be conquered from without, but it would be conquered from within. And we really wouldn't have to worry about banning books because there would come a point where people wouldn't want to read books. All they would want to do is seek pleasure. And that probably more describes our world than anything else, is that we, we want what we want, and we want it now, and we'll do whatever it takes to get it. So as we think about pondering things that God wants us to think about, we ought to ponder that it's not about pursuing pleasures over people. 
And how do you decide what you do when, when you've you got two people there? You know, for, for people like me, it's, you can't necessarily decide just because you're, you argue better than the person you're across from. If you're more verbal than somebody else, you're going to win every single debate, particularly the person you're debating with. He thinks debate is an argument is a, is a sport, right? Okay. But it's really, it's really coming to God and saying, God, what, what is it we really should do? And am I concerned more for the person I'm with or am I only concerned about myself? And, and then as I go through life, am I unhappy right now just because I, I don't have what I want right now or am I forgetting the one who really is the source of true joy? Because you pursue pleasures and actually get those pleasures, they're not going to satisfy, they're not going to pacify. So really, inherently, the answer is, put in a negative sense, it, we can pursue pleasures without prayer. And really, that's what I think the, the latter part of that section is. After he says you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, he then says you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Again, pleasures, you know, things you enjoy doing, that's not the enemy. But it can be if that's your pursuit in life. I, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, uh, it, some interesting conversations between demons arguing about how can we trip up Christians. And, and this is what the, the senior devil said to his undersunny Wormwood, particularly as it relates to, uh, to pleasures. He says, never forget that when we are dealing with pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. I want, I want to just make sure I make this clear, because I had to think about it when I read that. He's saying, look, pleasures are not wrong, because God created the things that we enjoy. And, and when they're enjoying in the proper way, in the proper time, uh, with, the, with the right relationship with people, and realizing these pleasures are from God and not just out there, then the enemy is not going to attack, he can't win on that ground because that's a God-given thing. But then it goes on and says this, I, I know we have one many, a soul through pleasure, which sounds like exact opposite of what he just said. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. That's God's invention, pleasures, or things we enjoy, not ours. Every good thing comes from above. He, God, made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. In other words, the enemy doesn't really produce pleasures. He, he perverts pleasures. All we can do is encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. And when he refers to enemy, he refers to God because the, the enemy of the demonic world is God himself. And he said, only what we can do is take what God has done and, and somehow twist it so it's enjoyed at the wrong time, in the wrong way, with the wrong people, in ways that d destroy, not bring joy. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that which is, is least natural. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure in the formula. You can take any good thing and make it what? Bad. And, and so the only dimension in which you'll now know the difference is you'll have to consult the demonic world's enemy and our friend. 
God, God, what is it you want me to do? What, what is it you want me to enjoy today? And how can I deal with making sure I'm, I'm, I'm putting people before my own pleasures? And how can I re really recognize that though I might enjoy whatever I'm doing, that's not where my true joy is. My joy comes from you. And, and how can you direct me right now to, to follow after your plan? And so there, there's, there's other passages we can look at. In James chapter 1, verse 5, God wants to direct us. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now that seems pretty simple. Well, okay, ask God, he'll tell me, guide me in what I ought to be doing and how I ought to approach life and what's important and, and how I can get the right perspective. Well, why wouldn't anybody do that? Because sometimes we don't want to consult God. Because we really know the answer before we pray to him. And at that moment, we don't want to do what God wants us to do. Let's put that on a human level. Uh, if, uh, it, when you have a decision to make or you, something you're trying to put on your priority grid or whatever it might be, or you're not sure about something you're doing that maybe you shouldn't be doing, or, or maybe there's something you ought to pursue, but you're not sure you want to pursue it in terms of what God might have you be involved in, and and you can, you can almost decide who to talk to as far as what kind of advice you're going to get, right? If you go to some friends, they'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. Isn't that true? And then you go to other people, and they're going to tell you the exact opposite. And you have to decide, who am I going to talk to? Now, we as friends are not always going to give the best counsel, but there is one who will always give you the right counsel. He said, if you want direction, you've got to go to the, the person who, who knows what's best. Our Father does know what's best. He'll give you wisdom. And, and just to emphasize that, in James 1, 16 and 17, it says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above. God is the source of that which is good for us. It's coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. There's nothing in God's good gifts that is destructive. James 16, 11 says this, Thou wilt make known to me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In, the right, in thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So, so what, what's the point of this passage in James verses 4, 1 through 3? He said, I want you to understand there's a problem. It's your problem, it's my problem, it's our problem. And for us to consider is, how, how is my life being lived? Is, is, it, is it being lived simply by pursuing pleasures over people? If, if, if that's what's happening, that, that's why there's a problem. There's a problem at work. There's a problem at home. There's a problem in friendship relationships. There, there's a there's there's problem in, in, um, at church. There's problems at, uh, you know, even on vacations. You know, when all of a sudden there's that, 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 that push-pull as far as, What's really important? Is it what we're doing or who we're doing it with? It's, it's important what we do, but it's important who we do it with, right? And then he takes that part. Well, it's pursuing pleasures that won't pacify. If all of a sudden we just elevate that, that which we're dreaming about or desiring more important than realizing, okay, I can enjoy that, but is that where I'm putting all my, my, my driven part of my nature to, to see that's what life is all about? Simple pleasures will not satisfy because once, once they're over, they're over. So seek that which will last forever. And then say, well, how, how do I guide? God has given us good things to enjoy. Well, 
then just go to God in prayer. Pursue God's plan. And Matthew 7, we won't turn to the passages, but Matthew 7, remember that passage where he says, ask, seek, and knock? You know, Jesus said, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And they said, don't you understand that, that God, God won't give you, if you ask for a, for a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a rock that looks like a piece of bread. He'll give you that which is good for you. But, but it comes from a submission of our will to his will. In Philippians chapter 4, and we won't turn to that passage as well, but in that, in that passage, he talks about, right after he told Iodia and Seneca to get along, he says, okay, here's, here's really what's important. Rejoice in the, what? Lord. And because they didn't get it the first time, he said, always rejoice in the Lord. And he said, okay, really what everyone wants in life, they want joy. And if, if they have joy, they also want a little bit of peace. And so he says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer, with, with thanksgiving, bring your request to me and, and I'll give you peace. A, a peace that's beyond this world's understanding and will guard your heart and your mind. In Christ Jesus. John Piper is probably a, the, the biggest promote, proponent of us realizing our true joy, everyone's true joy, potentially, is only found in their maker and in their savior. And he, he takes that phrase, which was, in the Westminster Catechism, you know, what's the, what's the purpose of man? It is to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And he threw a little bit different spin on that. He says, what's the, what's the purpose of man? And that's another P, isn't it? You know, we, we've been throwing P's out here everywhere. The purpose of man is to enjoy God, is to glorify God, is to glorify God, and then he says, by enjoying him forever is that we glorify God when we are most satisfied in him when, when our passions are say I just want to know him so much more deeper and follow him more faithfully and see him as he really is I, I close with one other quote from him that I want to read and not just butcher by what I can remember but he, he talks about that often people try that and it doesn't seem to work. And this is what he says. If you, if you don't feel strong desire for the manifestation of the glory of God, which me, basically means that you want God to be seen clearly, that, that attention is brought to him and not to anybody else. It's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world your soul is stuffed with small things, and there's no room for the great. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to ever, everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, 
we have not been converted by the gospel. It, it really is all about him. Let's pray. Father, this message has been, in many ways, very simple. And we can all see how often we get, we get tripped up because we forget it really is all about the people you've made in your image. And that's, that ought to be our greatest pursuit. That we often try to pacify our lives with the things of this world. And it's, it's really, it really is all about you. And that you will give us direction by prayer, but we need to pursue your plan over our own plan. And really, Father, we, we want to we recognize that, that joy t- does come only in the Lord, and the fullness of joy comes in you. To enjoy those things we do enjoy, but enjoy it in you. To enjoy the people we are around, but do it in you. By enjoying just life itself, by, but, but doing it in you. And Father, we pray as we take of the communion table this morning, for those who know you, to simply come and take of the bread and then of the cup, might we remember it's because of what you've done for us, not what we do. And in you, we can have forgiveness of sin. And in you, we can have a purpose and plan to live. Help us to live in ways that bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice. You became nothing, poured out to death. Many times I've wondered at your gift of life, and I'm in that place once again. And I'm in that place once again. Once again I look upon the cross where you died I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside Once again I thank you Once again I pour out my life Now you to the highest place King of the heavens where one day I'll bow but for now I marvel at your saving grace I'm full of praise once again I'm full of praise once again again I look upon the cross where you died I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside once again I thank you once again I pour out my sing thank you for the cross thank you for the cross thank you for the cross my friend 
We sing thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. We sing thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. Once again I look upon the cross where you died. Once again I thank you, once again I pour out my, once again I thank you, once again I pour out my, once again I thank you, once again I pour out your name on high I'm so glad you're in my life I'm so glad you're in